We continue in the Gospel of Luke in our second scripture reading. Our sermon text for this morning is Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do ask your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We ask that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the the mysteries in your word. Mysteries that find their answer in Christ. So Lord, we pray that what we see in this text would would change us and change us because we come to know the Savior better, to know his purposes for us and how that shapes our purposes in this life. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Every good story has a journey. And every good journey has a purpose. Think of well-written story that moves along in an exciting, uh, towards an exciting goal. It, it just marches step after step, phase after phase. And, and all the way along, along that journey, it keeps us engaged to the very end. Think of some of your favorite stories, maybe your childhood stories. How about the Lion, the lion King? Yeah, that was one of my favorite stories growing up. And the Lion King, Simba, has a purpose, a clear goal that lies in, in front of him. Now, he doesn't know it at first. Remember, he has to look in the mirror and you know, look in the water, and then he, he hears the words, remember who you are. And then from, from then on, he is determined to do one thing, to take his rightful place as, as king of the pride land. Well, let's, let's take it up to, to young adult territory here, or some of you are going to be mad that I said that, because I'm about to talk about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's not young adult, but kind of. Okay. What's the clear purpose? What's the, what's the journey that leads uh, Frodo Baggins along on that long-winded journey, that epic uh, trial? He must reach Mount Doom and throw that ring into its fiery pit. He must make it there. And so, you know, story after story, 
tale after tale, we see this, this purpose of a well-written story leading us along towards an exciting goal. So what's Jesus' purpose on his journey to Jerusalem? Because what we have here is not just a story, but a true story. It really happened. And, and what we see in, in the journey of Jesus to Jerusalem actually um, is filled with, with literary intrigue and, and an epic goal that drives him along. We've seen this um, even from the beginning of his march towards Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, he turns his face and it says he set his face like flint to go towards Jerusalem. And so you see that determination. But then we, we've seen several other times as we've marched along, even, even earlier in chapter 13, Jesus has let us know that he's headed to Jerusalem. Verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And so here Jesus is up in the north in Galilee, and he's winding his way down and he's teaching about the kingdom of God and he's healing people. But make no mistake about this. He's got a destination in mind and he's dropping hints time after time in the midst of his teaching. He's going to Jerusalem. I think this is maybe um, the, the third mention out of five mentions of his journey to Jerusalem in the book of Luke. So what is it that propels him forward on his way to that final destiny? And what does his purpose-driven journey teach us about our own purpose as we follow him on that road through suffering unto glory? Well, what I think we need to see in this text this morning is there are two pictures, two pictures that fill in that question and they show us the heart of Jesus, but they also show us his purpose. And as we lean into that, I, th I think what we're going to see is that it gives us a clear understanding of what our purpose is right here, right now, what our goal is as we join him on that journey. Notice first that Jesus moves forward. What propels him on to Jerusalem is a faithful commitment, a faithful commitment to the mission of God. So there's Jerusalem in the distance, and it looms like Mount Doom um, ahead of Jesus. And he's heading there with resolve, and, and, and every step he takes towards Jerusalem, it's filled with dedication and purpose, even when his enemies try to stop him. Look at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here. For Herod wants to kill you. Some very important people are starting to plot against Jesus. That's what's happening in our text. Let's, let's see who they are. First, King Herod. King Herod has finally decided that Jesus has become too popular with the people. That, that he's suddenly become a threat. There are just too many crowds around him. And Jesus has started to say stuff about a kingdom of God. You could see how that would be a threat to a king like Herod who starts to wonder, is he talking about a new kingdom and a new king? Who do you think I am, buddy? 
And so the word spreads that he is going to put an end to this. He's going to kill Jesus. And, 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 and notice this. This is no empty threat. Herod Agrippa, he is the tetrarch of Judea. He controls the lands of the north where Jesus uh, currently travels through. He is a man with great power, and he's a man who has used that power for destruction. And that's why Jesus calls him a fox. You, did you catch that? Go tell Herod that fox. Now, why would Jesus say this? We like to think of foxes as these you know, cute little critters that we could put on kids' clothes and they scurry around backyards. But you go talk to a farmer, you know, and they'll tell you quickly, foxes are pests. They are destructive uh, and cunning little beasts that can find the smallest way into um, a, you know, a chicken coop and just destroy everything in there. You come in and the feathers are everywhere and the fox is gone and it's taken its prize. And that's what Jesus wants us to see about Herod. He is like an enemy of the kingdom of God. And, and as he does that, he's like a cunning fox. What has he already done? He's already captured and beheaded John the Baptist. And so now he sets his sights on Jesus. But there's another enemy here who wants to put an end to Jesus, that wants to stop him in his tracks, and that's the Pharisees. So here come the Pharisees. Remember, they're the religious leaders of this day. And uh, Jesus has already said some choice words about them. So don't be mistaken when they come along and seem to cozy up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we want to warn you. You better get out of here because Herod's coming. This would be one of the only positive presentations of the Pharisees in the book of Luke, if, if this is a positive thing. I think there are serious hints that what they're doing is they're colluding with Herod. They're, they're at least using his threats to, uh, Herod's threats to their advantage. They want Jesus out of their turf. Better yet, they want Jesus to head down south to Jerusalem where then he's, where then they have the authority. They can put an end to him. They can do something about him. So what do we see? Notice what's happening. Political pressure is starting to close in around Jesus from every direction. From the north, from the south, from civil and religious leaders, from King Herod who circles like a fox ready to distract Jesus from his purpose, and then from the Pharisees who wait like wolves ready to stop him in his tracks. How will Jesus respond to these killers? who stalk. He responds with commitment to his mission. Unfaltering commitment. He's so certain that he's going to make it to his finish line in Jerusalem that he sends a message back to the fox's den. In verse 32, Go and tell Herod that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Here's where another angle of that, um, the, uh, Jesus calling Herod fox comes in. Because a fox, a fox is cunning and it's destructive, but a fox is not a lion. A fox, in the face of a lion, goes running off, squealing. And that's what Jesus wants us to see as well. Herod poses no threat to his ultimate uh, movement to fulfill the mission of God. There's no 
There's no way that this scrawny fox is going to stop the lion of the tribe of Judah from accomplishing his purpose. And what is that purpose? What's that purpose that we've been talking about all along the way? What's, what's Jesus' grand goal that, that, that stands out as he goes step by step to Jerusalem? We see him explain it here in three quick ways. First, he's going to Jerusalem to complete what has already been going on in his kingdom activity. Now remember, what have we been seeing in these miracles, these cures, these healings that Jesus has been doing? We've been seeing a foretaste, even a a, a breaking forward of the kingdom of God. The reality that God has established his uh, righteous rule and reign to take what is crooked, and to make it straight, to take what is broken and to repair it, to take a rebellious world and to turn it into a people who are committed to his reign, serving his purposes. And so Jesus says, go tell Herod, I'm going to keep doing this stuff all the way to Jerusalem. I'm going to, I'm going to be healing. I'm going to be curing. And all of this is part of my kingdom activity that, by the way, leads to the cross. We see this in our passage, that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. On the cross, Jesus perished like the prophets before him at the hands of a rebellious people, the very people he came to save. His very own did not receive him. But at the same time, on that cross, what did he cry out? It is finished. My kingdom, my purpose of ushering in the kingdom of God, my mission, that mission that drove me all the way to Jerusalem, it is finished. And so that's also what we hear when we hear him say to Herod, go ahead and kill me. Go ahead and chase me to Jerusalem where my enemies will put an end to me. That's what I'm going to do anyways. I'm going to finish my goal there and my goal is dying on a cross. And from that cross, he'll go to a tomb. And from that tomb, he will rise from the dead. We see, even even here again, a hint that that's his mission. That's his divine purpose. Because look, twice in our passage, verses 32 and 33, Jesus mentions the third day. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Now, when Jesus' audience heard that, they probably you know, heard it as, you know, as a common idiom in their day. You know, today, tomorrow, and the third day. It means, it means the fullness of completion. But Jesus is bringing out something that we now know because we've heard the fullness of the gospel, that that third day has a significance. What is it? It's the day of resurrection. On that third day, Jesus rose from the dead in fullness of life. And so what is he giving us here? He is giving us this confident, unshaking, firm resolve that he's going to usher in the kingdom. He's going to do that by going to the cross and dying. A death. And he's going to finally present us with an empty tomb, a risen Savior. 
Now, friends, this is the narrow way that Jesus was determined to follow. That's, this is the narrow way that he told us. Remember last week, we, we, or two weeks ago, we heard about the narrow way, this, this um, precise uh, way to enter the kingdom of God. What is it? It's through the life, the death, and the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, even now, as he goes to Jerusalem, is determined. This is his purpose, to open that door, to open that narrow way to salvation, so that by going through that way, he will complete God's plan and many will be saved. Here's what we need to hear, friends. When Jesus went to the cross and died, it wasn't some tragic accident. It wasn't some great tragedy of history. It wasn't that Herod and the Pharisees finally got their way and found a way to take him out. No, when he rose from the dead on the third day, it wasn't just a stunt act. All these things were according to God's perfect plan. And Jesus knew that every committed step to Jerusalem. That's why he says to Herod and why he says to the Pharisees, go ahead, push me to Jerusalem, force my way there because I'm going there anyways. And in the fullness of time, you'll only be fulfilling God's purpose for me. Well, friends, I want you to see the encouragement in this resolve of your Savior, this commitment of your Savior. This was your Savior's resolve for your salvation. You see this here? Why is it that, that, that he marched with such confidence to Jerusalem in the face of incredible threats? Why, why is it that in the face of real danger, in real threats, in real fears, he pressed on? His commitment was for salvation of his people. And so that should encourage you. And, and it should encourage you because we still serve a savior who has this commitment. He began this work, this kingdom uh, activity. He, he brought you through that narrow door of salvation. And so if he did that in his state of humiliation, when he came to earth, how much more is he right now? guiding you with that same resolve, with that same commitment to bring all of his plans to perfection. Now that's an encouragement when we look at a world with Herods and Pharisees, right? And when political pressures from the right and the left come in against the church and we start to say, where are we in all this? How do we sort this through? And we see hypocrisy and we see believers in other countries who are imprisoned and jailed for their faith. And we wonder, will there be a day when, when that comes to us? When we hear threats against the church, when you hear even ones who you thought were your close friends turning against you because of your commitment to Christ, you need to know that your Savior is so, so familiar with this. He faced this and he, he faced it with a commitment and a resolve that he now still gives to you. And he asks you to take yourself on your way to Jerusalem, on your way through suffering of this life and unto glory where we pass into God's heavenly kingdom. 
We go forward with this resolve, with this firm commitment. But I also want you to hear a warning. A warning in, this, in, in these verses. Because if you have not come to know the Savior, if you have not entered through that narrow way, realize whose side you're on. You're, you're on the side of, of Herod and the Pharisees whether you like it or not, because there's no neutral place in, in, in all of this. It's either commitment to God's kingdom or opposition to it. And, and here's the thing. You can't push Jesus out of the scene. You can't push him out of your mind. You can't explain him away like Herod and the Pharisees tried to do. You've got to come face to face with him and answer this question. Will you reject him? Or will you believe him and follow him with that same confident pursuit on the Jerusalem road? Well, that's the question that hits us as we look at the second part of the passage. You see, Jesus is drawn towards Jerusalem because of his faithfulness, his commitment to fulfilling God's word. But there's something even deeper, something even clearer in his purpose that, that pulls him in this passage towards Jerusalem, that leads him towards Mount Doom in the distance. And here's what it is. It's his deep compassion for a lost and rebellious people. Jesus moves with faithful commitment and he moves forward also with deep compassion. And so this lament breaks out as Jesus mentions Jerusalem. It's barely, this this city, this city at the heart of his people barely comes off of his lips when what does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Now just take a minute, sit back for a minute and think about this picture. This was a favorite picture in the early church. You see it, right? A mother hen rushes to protect her chicks from, from the fox that's slinking around uh, the, the coop. She tucks those chicks under her wing. She pulls them close. She cries out warnings of danger. But those stubborn chicks resist. They rush out of that safe haven and into the jaws of the fox. And the, and the mother hen, you, you can see in this picture the frustration with these chicks. And Jesus says, this is a picture of how I feel as I go to Jerusalem. I'm going to, a, to make my final plea to a stubborn and rebellious people. A people who don't want my refuge, who don't want to enter through that narrow way. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is, this is the cry of a true man, a man with deep emotions and compassion. But don't miss this, that this is the cry of one who is also true God. Because there is only one throughout the scriptures, only one in the Old Testament, who is time after time again pictured as a hen or an eagle covering uh, chicks with its mighty wings. We heard of of that eagle in Deuteronomy 32. Who, who is it? It's Yahweh, the God of the scriptures, the God of Israel. 
And this just brings us face to face with with the compassion of Jesus that drives him towards Jerusalem. This is the, the very one who weeps over this forsaken city is the God who Israel rejected when they murdered all his messengers time and time after again, when he sent them Jeremiah, when he sent them Isaiah. The God who Israel still rejects by refusing to repent and enter that narrow way of salvation through Jesus. And the one who weeps over this forsaken city is that God who many will reject, who the city will reject when they crucify him on the cross. Here's what's so amazing about that, friends, that Jesus sees the past rejection, the present rejection, and the future rejection of this people, and still he goes forward with painstaking purpose. He goes all the way to a cross where he spreads his wings, his arms of protection over anyone who will come to him and trust in him. He was ready to do that for a people who were not ready to receive him. That's the compassion of the Savior in this text. And so I ask you, have you come to know this compassion? So this is the purpose that drove this Savior to the cross. Are you like those stubborn and rebellious chicks that, that slip out from under his wings? Are you like the stubborn people of Jerusalem? Because Jesus was even saying in his day that that door of opportunity was closing for Israel. What, what does he say in our passage? Your house is desolate. What was he giving us a picture of? of the judgment that was about to come upon those who refused to enter the narrow way, who refused to come under his wings. We see that in this climactic way in 70 AD where God brings his judgment against the very um, temple in Jerusalem. But that door of opportunity is still open for us today, still open for you. Jesus still looks upon a lost world with compassion and if you have not come, if you have not said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is Jesus Christ, now is the time to do that. Now is the time to say, Lord, give me refuge under your wings. Give me refuge under the cross. This also shapes our purpose, friends, because not only have we seen in this passage that Jesus calls us to a, our firm commitment this firm commitment to God's mission, to suffering and to glory. Not only have we seen that God calls us to, to come and to know personally the compassion of the Savior for lost sinners, but we can't miss that this compassion in this text is a compassion that he calls us to have for a lost world. Do you see sinners like Jesus sees them? When you see people going crazy on, on Facebook, running around like chicks, trying to, 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 to evade the wings of, of a caring um, mother hen. Do, do, you, do you look on them as sheep without a shepherd? Or do you scoff at them? When you see people who refuse to come to Jesus, when you see family members who turn away, do you say, good riddance, they are a lost cause, or do you move towards them with this same compassionate resolve? 
Because Jesus calls to do that even if they reject him to the end. Because that's what he did. Friends, we have a Savior who moved towards this holy city of Jerusalem with a firm compassion, with a firm commitment and a deep compassion. That was his purpose. And, and friends, is our purpose as well as we follow him. Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that you would give us the commitment of Jesus and the lament of Jesus that we would be driven by this unwavering uh, commitment to his mission as we go forward and that we would, we would actually look and say, what does that mean for my life, for the specifics of my life? But at the same time, Lord, teach us of the compassion of Jesus, the compassion that gives grace to sinners and the compassion that leads us to love sinners. We pray this all in his name. Amen.